Well, good morning, church. We can do better than that. Good morning. There you go. Thank you, choir. And don't we give thanks for the wonderful way the choir blessed us in their music today. Thank you all so much. It's great to be with you. I was supposed to be with you for your 144th anniversary, but I had some family. My aging parents needed me on that weekend, and I give thanks for the district superintendent, Deborah Bishop, filling in. Uh, not just filling in, she came and shared. And, and uh, so it's good to be back here today on the second Sunday of Advent. Not many people ask bishops to come and preach in Advent uh, because they all kind of want to do their own thing, which is kind of good. I don't get many invitations for Easter either, uh, so if that tells you anything. But it's very, very rare that in a worship service that you would find the resident bishop of an annual conference, your district superintendent, and your pastor all together at the same time. There are about 575 churches in the Alabama-West Florida Conference. Nancy and I uh, are usually in a different church every Sunday, and so it's just good to be at Spring Hill United Methodist Church this is a beautiful place. Um, the sanctuary uh, brings back many memories of being in sanctuary somewhat like this. Uh, a beautiful facility, a uh, community that is being revitalized, a church that is doing wonderful things. Uh, gosh, what you all just did through the, the giving. And then you have a wonderful pastor, I believe, uh, in Micah Wright, do you not? Amen. Why don't you just show your appreciation to him? I remember visiting Micah at uh, Emory University when they were moving through their seminary years, and one of the things that's very important to me uh, is for those folks graduating from seminary to have a, a good experience in their first appointment, and also for clergy couples to have those opportunities. And so we prayed, and friends, there's no doubt that God has placed him in this place. And, and there's just wonderful things in your future. I always have a phrase, the best is always yet to come. So I believe that. Amen. Amen. And so as we come and share with the Christ child today uh, in the Advent, we know that the best is yet to come. It's interesting. I'm going to be preaching on this genealogy that he's having a Bible study on. So if the bishop messes up anything today, he's going to correct it when uh, he gathers tonight. <laughs> but in honor of the reading of the gospel, if, if you are able, would you please stand as I share these first six verses and then verses um, 16 and 17. This is a scripture that when I was growing up, um, I jumped to verse 18 because most of these names I couldn't pronounce at the time, may not pronounce them well this morning. But here's an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. It's interesting that Matthew includes Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Ambibadab, and Ambibadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Again, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. I don't know if I've given any expected parents any new names. Moving down to the 16th verse. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband 
of Mary, whom Jesus was born and who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. 42 generations beginning with Abraham to the birth of Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. And you may be seated. This morning when I think about Advent, it's a period, those four weeks before Christmas, and it's a period of waiting and expectation. And, and we live in a culture today that really doesn't like to wait and really doesn't like to expect what might come. And really in recent years, it's all become about the shopping season, has it not? What are the sales going to be for uh, retailers between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Many say this will be a record year of sales. But friends, could it be a record year when people draw closer to Jesus, which is more important? Also, we get into this, should we say Merry Christmas or Season's Greetings or Happy Holidays? It's all about the birth of Jesus. As I think about my own purpose statement for living life, I seek to get up every morning in the midst of all that I deal with and many things that you deal with as well. It's all about winning people to Jesus. All the stuff that goes on in the life of the denomination, all the things that goes on in my own personal life, it's all about God called me to win people to Christ, to see people that nobody else sees, to transform lives and to change this corner of the world. And I believe that you're focused on that. And I believe the Holy Spirit is present and ready more than ever to do that in the life of this community and this congregation. As I think about this scripture, though, I, as I said earlier, I, I really skipped over this and and, and went right down to verse 18 where Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus and really comes from it from the, the element of Joseph. I mean, you get Matthew and then, then comes the wise men in Matthew. And really it's Luke and Matthew that give us the Christmas story. You've got to put both of them together. Mark is the oldest gospel that we have, but Mark is placed second in the, the New Testament canon. And then, you know, Mark, Mark's in a hurry. He just gives you snip, snippets of this and snippets of that. He really begins verse 115. The time is, has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he just, he just pours forth with the ministry of Jesus. And then Luke gives us really the, the, the birth story itself that night. And where the angel proclaims, I bring you great news of wonderful joy. Today, this night, is born the Savior. And so you put Matthew and you kind of put Luke together. John, that's a theological book. He really begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was from God. But here, Matthew, why didn't he just start with verse 18? Why did he begin to place this genealogy? I always kind of wondered about that. And as I studied, studied and I began to read and really began to look at these figures that were names before, but now you begin to hear their generations and hear their life. You begin to really see, because if you know Matthew, you begin to understand why Matthew began with a genealogy. Before we began with a cool Judean night, before we began with a stable, before we began with Mary and Joseph and the baby and the shepherds and the wise men, Matthew wants to begin by looking at a genealogy. And friends, I believe the reason he wanted to begin with a genealogy is because he wanted everybody to know that God wants everybody on the planet to know Jesus and go to heaven. And so why, 
why let them in? I asked the question, why let these people into the life of Jesus? When you look at genealogies, and you look at your own genealogy, and a lot of people are looking at that today more than ever, don't we all have some interesting characters in our family? Maybe you're sitting by them today. I don't know. But we've all got interesting characters in our family. I always like that, that uh, Christmas movie, National Lampoon's Christmas movie, with Chevy Chase and Uncle Eddie. I, I try to watch that. Huh? Oh, Cousin Eddie. Thank you. See, I have my wife here to correct me if I mess up. <laughs> Cousin Eddie. So if anything that you need to interpret after the service, just ask her. We'll be at the reception in the back. <laughs> but Cousin Eddie comes, and maybe we've all got a Cousin Eddie. I, I don't know, but we've all got interesting characters, and maybe we're the interesting character in our family. They're interesting people, and, and when you study genealogies and you study histo uh, historic genealogies back in this time when this was written, nobody could really afford, only kings and queens could afford to have genealogies written about them. And what they would do is somebody would have to follow them around and write all this stuff down and kind of record it. And here's what kings and queens did back in that day when there was somebody that was kind of a character in their lineage of their family. You know what happened? They would just leave them out. They just kind of skipped over them. And so you, you read these genealogies and you, these historic genealogies and there's just gaps in them because either there's a husband or a wife or children. They just skip over them because they were characters and they didn't want anybody that would kind of disgrace them being a part of their genealogy. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're here today and maybe your family's kind of erased you from their genealogy. I, I don't know. But then you read Matthew's take. He kind of steps back. He kind of takes a step back. And that's kind of what Advent is. It's, it's kind of stepping back and really begin to look at the expectation. But here's the key thing for Matthew he wanted everybody to know that Jesus wants to come into your life and to offer you the gift that is eternal. You see, when Matthew was living, you know, Matthew's kind of moving up in age now. And when he writes this, I believe Matthew's kind of got a smile on his face because Matthew just didn't include all the names. He added people to it. He wanted to make sure. He kind of put some exclamation marks out there. I mean, he says, by Tamar. Now, friends, I can't really talk about the life of Tamar in church today, but your pastor can talk about it at Bible study tonight. I mean, she had an interesting life. I mean, she was a real character, but God puts her right in here. And then you talk, then he brings in Rahab. Now, don't we classify Rahab as the harlot? She was a Canaanite woman. Why put her in here in this genealogy? But Matthew wanted you to know that Rahab, don't call, when you get to heaven and you come across Rahab, don't call her a harlot. And you won't. You'll call her a helper. Because you read the scripture and she was God's helper. And scripture tells us that she lived with the Hebrew people the rest of her life. And then this situation with Uriah and Bathsheba, I mean, that, what, a, what a story that is. And King David have fell into sin. And what often happens is that when you commit one sin, you try to cover that up with another sin and another sin and another sin. And it got David into a very, very, very difficult place. But Matthew wanted you to know that because you know what Matthew said? 
when Matthew, he grew up in the church, he knew all the, he was a good Jewish boy, he knew all the laws, he knew everything, but when he got to be an adult, he kind of moved away from the church and he became a Roman tax collector. And if you read scripture, nobody wanted to have anything to do with a Roman tax collector except other tax collectors. They were considered to be the scum of the earth. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with Matthew. And here's Matthew that had grown up in the church, but now he's a tax collector. And he's been taken from people. He's been taking advantage of people. And the only, he has no way in this world of ever being made right with God. He was so bad that they wouldn't even allow him to come into the temple to worship. I and mean, that's the kind of person Matthew was. He was, because everybody felt like to, in order to get right with God, you had to build a platform of righteousness. But when Jesus came into the world, he said, no, you just have to accept the gift, the gracious gift of receiving me into your heart through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's Matthew kind of doing Matthew's thing one day, and Jesus walks up to him, and he asks the question, will you come and follow me? Now, the other disciples that had been chosen to that point, Peter, Philip, Andrew, Nathaniel, they're standing behind Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing here, I really don't have any, I don't have any theological evidence of this or any historic relevance of this, but just knowing Peter and reading about Peter, I'm kind of thinking he's kind of like us. He would say, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. You're wanting somebody like him to come be a part of us? And Jesus said, not only will you come follow me, but let's have dinner together tonight, and why don't you invite your friends to come? And do you know the only friends that Matthew had were other people like him that nobody wanted to associate or be with? And so they had dinner together. We don't know all they said, but what we know is that Matthew followed Jesus. And here he is. Jesus has lived those three years with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And now he's kind of sitting back and he's kind of putting all these characters in the genealogy because he wants everybody to know. And he's writing, for the, he's writing for the Jewish people. That's why Matthew's gospel is the very first. He wants everybody to know that Jesus the Messiah came in the lineage of Abraham and David. That was so important. And he wants everybody to know that we let everybody in through the power and the presence of Jesus. And all of God's people should say, Amen. When we think about this life that Matthew lived, and realizing that Jesus came up to him one day and we begin to think about Advent and we begin to think about the scriptures that we have here and he begins with all of these names. Some were great people. Some were difficult people. Some were really bad people. Some had a history. All of them had a history and a testimony. But, Jesus, but Matthew includes them all because he wanted you to see and he wanted everybody to see as you read it that these are the persons. Why let them in? We let them in. Because Jesus wants everybody to come to him. So this Advent, as we move toward Christmas, we hear the words from Malachi 3.1. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming. Surely coming. It had been 400 years of darkness. They hadn't heard from God. 400 years and 
This baby Jesus comes upon the scene, not in power, because they were looking for a powerful Messiah like King David. That's, that's who the, the Jewish people are still looking for, is that powerful Messiah that will come and be that ruler in that reign and will restore Israel to being the powerful nation of the world. This is not about New Testament. This is not about Old Testament too that, that Matthew's talking about. This is about that there has come a light in the midst of the darkness. And the darkness cannot put it out or cannot penetrate it. It's where we come and we light the Advent candles. And we remember that Jesus is the, is the Prince of Peace. He comes to bring peace and he comes to bring joy and he comes to bring love. And then the Christ candle represents the great light that cannot be put out. The light of Christ. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And friends, I don't know about you, but sometimes life pulls us down, does it not? Sometimes life gets hard and difficult, and maybe that's where life is today. And people, and, and you look at our culture today, and, and you look at all these different things going on, sometimes you just don't even want to get out of bed. You sure don't want to turn on the news, because all it is is bad stuff. But friends, we are here to proclaim good news, amen? We're here to proclaim of a risen Savior, and that power and that presence of the light of Christ living in us, and when that light lives within us, it comes out of us, and it reaches all the people that we come in contact with. What if we begin to look at people, not what we don't like about them, but what is the potential in them? Even those hard and difficult people that drive you crazy when they come for family Christmas, their family, their friends. And when the light of Christ shines in and through you, we never know what that's going to impact other people in their life. Matthew didn't have a chance in the world until he met Jesus. And what he wanted everybody to know is, and why he began with a genealogy. And I skipped over several generations because the words get harder to read. No, just, just I, I didn't want to read all those names. But when you start reading all of those names, there's a story behind every name. And what Jesus proclaims to us, there's a story behind every name. And there's a story behind every person. I told uh, Micah before we uh, began the service, he graduated from Candler School of Theology, Emory University. That's where I graduated from. And uh, when I think about why I let them in, you know, when you go to a seminary, you have to write an application, and they have to accept your application, and, and, and there's a lot of criteria to that. And, and I didn't have a Huntington College to go to, and, and he's also a graduate, graduate of Huntington College, which does a great job in preparing folks for seminary and really for life. And so I graduated from the, the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I've got a degree from there, it hangs on my wall. Um, but I did not graduate sigma cum laude. I kind of graduated laude, he graduated kind of a degree. Uh, I just barely graduated from the University of Tennessee, not because of, 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 of them, but because of me, because I was more interested in a lot of other stuff. Um, and so, but I graduated. But when I wrote, when I felt God's call upon my life and I sent it to Candler School of Theology, Emory University. Um, I got this letter back from them. I, I paid my money. I filled out my application. They said, we really appreciate you applying for, for Candler here at Emory in Atlanta. Um, however, you 
don't meet the academic requirements to be admitted. Which, however, if you would like to come and talk with us about that, we'd be glad to discuss that with you further. So it was a really nice letter of, of uh, declining me. So I called the number and I made an appointment to go in, a, in about a week. I went, traveled at that time. I was living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, traveled the two hours to Atlanta, went down, met where I was supposed to meet. I met with three people and you could just tell from two of them this was just a courtesy thing to do. They, had, they, they, could, they would have liked to have been any other place but where they were. And so we started this conversation and they kind of began to ask me my call story, ask me my academic work in, in, in the university. And um, I was sitting by uh, a professor by the name of Dr. John Hayes. Dr. Hayes, uh, when, you go, when you go into his office, you'll see a, a, a book open that's a book of Latin, Greek, Hebrew, German, and um, I think there was a couple of other languages. He, he could read them all fluently. I was lucky to really be able to say, you know, speak English well for a lot of, for most things. And um, so he heard my call story and it was just, you know, have you ever watched people, you watch their body language and they're just, they're over there doodling, you know. So you know they're really into what you're saying, right? So finally, Dr. Hayes, uh, he had more authority than I thought he did at the time. He said, uh, we're going to let you in. And the other two, I thought they were going to drop their pads. We're, we're going to let you in, and uh, this is what we're going to do. If, if you do well after your first year, um, we're, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be a regular student. You'll be an MDiv student, Master of Divinity student here at, at Candler School of Theology. If you do the work, in other words, we're going to let you in. And if you do the work... You can graduate from here. That's all I needed. My three years went by, and you know who was my advisor the whole three years? Dr. John Hayes. And he was going to make sure that everything in the world he could do, I was going to graduate. So I went to Emory, spent three years there, and graduated with honors because Dr. John Hayes believed that they should let me in. And I, the day of graduation, I'm standing out there on the quad. It's all getting ready for the pomp and circumstance. I had been looking forward to this day, and here comes Dr. Hayes. He's real short in stature. He had Coke bottles for glasses. I guess so if he read all that different stuff, and he could talk about it. He comes up to me with this smirky little grin on his face. And then tears started rolling down his eyes. He says, thank you for making me right. Thank you for making me right. I was telling Micah, beginning January 1st, I'm going to be a trustee of Emory University. And I almost kind of want to have a little grin on my face to say, they, you almost didn't let me in. But what it reminds me, friends, is that when we look for God in people and when we let all people know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, we can't make them do anything. But when we show them the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus, 
we never know. And all God asks us, will you just let them in? And when you let them in and you let them know the love of Jesus, let the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit change them as it has changed you. So friends, when I think about um, it is only by God's grace that I stand in the front of you today. I may have the title of bishop, but you know what? All I am is a sinner saved by God's grace. And I'm just seeking to live into that will. And I give thanks for a person like John Hayes. And I could name my grandparents, my parents, my wife, other pastors. I could go on and on and on. I'm here. Just like these folks are recorded here. Because there is a God that if you'll lean into the everlasting arms of God, will bring you to places that you could never have imagined. So that's why I don't give up on anybody. If somebody's going to give up on them, they'll have to give up on themselves. Sometimes I get criticism for believing in people, and sometimes I get burned. Have you ever been burned by people? You put your faith and your trust in them, and they still burned you anyway. I don't have any regrets about that. So when we think about who let them in, why let them in? Matthew gives us a great illustration today. Because here is someone writing by the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. Now older in his life, he's experienced all these things with a smile on his face. If I can be in that place, Matthew says, everybody can. Now that, my friends, is good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.